You are Locked On Suns, your daily Phoenix Suns podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Today's episode of Locked On Phoenix Suns is brought to you by Rock Auto. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, and all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com and tell them Locked On sent you. Another great guest here on today's episode of Locked On Phoenix Suns. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network, and I am your host, Brendan Clean. You can follow our show on Twitter and on Instagram at Locked On PHX Suns, and you can follow me on Twitter as well at Brendan Clean14. Kellen Olson joining the show today of Arizona Sports, the Suns reporter over there, does great stuff on the radio, has his own Suns podcast, and used to be the host of this show a very long time ago. Not sure how many listeners we still have who are listening to Kellen all the way back then, along with Eddie House. Yeah, another another fun fact about the show you might not remember, but that's not what we talked about today. We talked about the six-game win streak that the Suns are currently on, why it came to this point, why it's working now, how it can continue and what comes next. So a lot of great stuff. Um, yeah, just a great conversation. We talk about Paul and Booker coming together. We talk about the trade market, if it's worth doing something there. Uh, the coaching aspect of this, the rotation, why is Frank Kaminsky in there? Will he stay in there? And uh, just some numbers and tidbits from this amazing stretch of basketball that we've seen from the Suns. So uh, without further ado, it's a longer show today, so I won't belabor it anymore. But here is Kellen Olson of Arizona Sports. Kellen Olson joins us now of Arizona Sports. Kellen, we like to have you on for the 100 benchmarks. I recently, we passed 800 on the show recently, but that's not why you're here today. We can retire that that celebration. But it has been a while since you were on. I think the Chris Paul trade day was the last time that you were on the show. But because there's a little bit of news, we'll start there. Jalen Smith the number 10 overall pick assigned to the G League bubble where he'll play with the Clippers affiliate. That was announced this morning after a weird, weird thing for Monty post game where he didn't want to say it, even <laughs> though it wasn't, it wasn't serious at all, but no, he could have just Smith told us he was going to the G League, man. I thought his like lungs were going to be damaged. He made it sound so like much worse. Like, is he having a child like it. Ricky was when he didn't say it last year? Like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. It was, I was, I was terrified. I'm glad it's just the G League, though. My Bonnie is very weird about some of that stuff sometimes, where it's like, <laughs> dude, you you can just go ahead and you can just go ahead and say he's going to be, you know, frame it positively. I get you're a coach; you don't want to put it put him down, but say like, oh, we're going to give Jalen some more reps or whatever you need to say. I honestly think I would be the same way about that stuff, though. I would be so, um, and not to say that he's this way, but I would be. I would be borderline neurotic about it, just like what I can and can't say. I would be like, uh. We're going to release something probably. <laughs> yeah. And glancing around nervously, like, what am I allowed yeah, to say? Yeah. I would be say? sweating every time. Like, all those bad uh, first, uh, the introductory press conferences of like Gase and then the new Eagles coach or whatever, that would be me yeah. every single press conference. <laughs> that's fair. I think that's probably how I would be too, as somebody who does not like public speaking and as a person who is, uh, Awkward on Zoom. I'm very sympathetic to Monty having to talk to black screens while we interview him this season. So uh, it's all it's all weird. But the the bottom line is Jalen Smith is going to play with the Clippers team down there. This the bubble has already started, so it's a little bit late, which maybe 
isn't the best in terms of just getting him acclimated and, and having this experience for him go as well as it can. But just what are your thoughts on on the decision on the Suns' part to put this guy down there? Um, so it, the way you phrased it is, I guess, where I'll start because that's how questions work when you answer them. Uh, I agree with the decision because if this guy is not going to play when you have only 10 guys available, then you need to <clears throat> find places for him to go because when when the team's injured he's going to find his way into like reps in practice now but I remember Tyshawn Alexander at the beginning of the year just saying like yeah I'm, I'm taking every opportunity I can to get shots up to go here to go there with the facility because I don't really get practice reps and and that's where Jalen Smith was probably struggling especially when they bring in Frank off waivers you think about that Frank is in the grand scheme of things, Damian Jones is now their fourth string center. Basically. I know that some of those guys like Dario and Frank can play the four, but that's so that makes Jalen their fifth string center. And then if you think about power forward, like how many guys play power forward minutes before Jalen Smith, that's where you start to get, you start to get really looking into like, okay, where can we find him time? And luckily there's the G league bubble going on right now. It's, it's three weeks out um, or three weeks of play that he's going to get. Yeah, um, that's going to help. And then he's going to rejoin the team. He's going to basically come back when everyone else comes back from the all-star break too. Yeah. Uh, so he's going to miss a couple of weeks here. Uh, but honestly, he wasn't missing much in terms of actually getting to play and then just having him play is, is the most important thing. So um, I, I agree with that. Now um, the thing about the way they're playing right now is I can't disagree with him getting minutes, not getting minutes. I just think his, uh, the, the start of his career was always going to be in a weird spot with the quote unquote tweener uh, that he is at the moment. It feels like if Frank doesn't catch on the way that he does, we probably don't see this decision. Does that feel fair to you? Like if, if, if Frank's not begging for a rotation spot by playing so well on offense, then there's an easier path to Smith getting minutes, but Frank's just making it hard for Monty to bench him right now. hundred percent. And, and Damian Jones, remember like Monty was very impressed by him at the start of the season or start of the preseason. I should say, I think there was one, I think the second Utah game, I remember asking him about Jones and just writing a small little thing and just being like, yeah, like he, he looks well. He looks like he's playing well. He's moving well. And then as we've seen over the course of the season, this is the reason why his career hasn't really taken off yet. And he hasn't been able to find a consistent rotation spot and one of the reasons why a couple of people and I don't know if you were in this camp too I think you were were a little bit skeptical when they signed him was like I don't know if that's a guy that's like worth a roster spot necessarily um and and he's been showing why unfortunately for him and unfortunately for the team um but with that being said I I agree and and Dario especially has been just even even better than he was last season so there's just there's nowhere for him to go but I also think that I'm not sure this was um, – I think that they may have thought that he was going to be more ready, uh, especially with Frank coming in. Now, they were in, they had injuries and stuff, and, like, you can look at that and say you want to really stack the back line in the roster. They had an open roster spot. Frank was available at the right time. It, it all kind of worked out. Uh, but with that being said, the roster was constructed before Frank like that for a reason, and I believe that they – Expected him to be a little bit ready, but um, Brett and me and you have now covered a couple of a couple of like training camps and like uh, obviously this one was way different than Flagstaff. But if you you remember last year in Flagstaff, he was uh, Monty was basically like, I don't need to worry about Cam. He's gonna he's gonna be where yeah. he needs to be. We don't need to worry about him. And then hearing him say the opposite about Jalen Smith being like, 
he needs to learn how to see the floor. <laughs> You're like, oh, no, he has been very, I think, sort of blunt and not in a critical way of like, I don't think this will ever work, but a way of like being honest that this player is not a, a, a player who can contribute right now. And so, yeah, I think, and I was going to say another similar observation that I had in terms of Monty sort of just saying exactly what we should take and this was more through his actions than his words but I look to that rotation in the preseason and I feel like that's what Monty wanted the rotation to be because the 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 preseason was so condensed and they had to hit the ground running like I think we're seeing that with each one more right now that was the guard that I think they wanted probably to to be getting minutes and now he he is he's he's earning them and and getting that spot and I think they wanted Jalen Smith to be one of the bigs here uh getting minutes in, in that spot, you know, sort of in the guy who can play with Aiton and give you a bigger look role, which now, as I said before, is is uh, is where Frank is slotting in. So I think that preseason sort of told us the same thing, which is that they did probably anticipate that he could play some role for this team. And maybe by the end of the year that that could happen. Although I think if there was a time for him to butt his way in, it probably would have been now versus later. It's going to be kind of hard to envision that this guy will will craft that that path for himself while they're making a playoff push, but we'll see. Um, but when you talk about Flagstaff, I wanted to just close on this because it's, I guess, the, the, the one similarity just because we only have one year prior to this with this brain trust would be Ty Jerome, who also spent time in the G League. A little different because he was coming back from an injury. Um, and it was more of a normal G League situation. But the main difference to me is that they had their own team and the infrastructure was there. So um, not to go all the way into the discussion of, of if and, and why they don't have a G League team and all that, but it, it's it's begging the question when they've now have two guys in the G League and neither one of them are able to play for their own team because the Suns don't have their team and they didn't send it this one last season that they did have it to the bubble. It's a bummer that we should mention that he has an ankle injury at the start of the season. He comes back and literally uh, is available for the Toronto game. And then they fly to Detroit to play to Detroit. He doesn't go with them because he gets coronavirus. And Smith, then he sits yeah, out yeah. at yeah, Smith. So he, he I was just Jerome so had much. an ankle injury at the beginning too. So I was, I was, yeah. yeah so yeah. he's working from behind already. And I wanted to preface that with kind of bringing up this point and that it's really a bummer that it's worked out like this because, uh, I'm so glad that I was able to take this cap off and just throw it in the garbage for a couple of years and knowing the ins and outs of a draft class. But the special thing about this draft class, if you want to call it that, was that you were looking at a lot of guys who were ready to play right now in this kind of range and and ready to play right now or within a year. And I, I kind of thought Smith was more of a guy that was ready right away. And again, the team's depth, all that kind of stuff, they don't even need some of the names that I'm about to mention right now. But when you're talking about like player value and how much they're worth and stuff like that, you have to account for every contribution. And already he's falling pretty far behind on the scoreboard because you look at some of the names like I could mention Peyton Pritchard, but if they would have taken Peyton Pritchard at 10, that would have been absolutely been worse. insane. Yeah, yeah. But if they would have taken Tyrese Halliburton or Devin Vassell or Cole Anthony or Sadiq Bay or Tyrese Maxey or Desmond Bain or Precious Achua, or even someone like Kyra Lewis, who's a little bit more raw right now, but is starting to look pretty decent for New Orleans in the past couple of weeks. Jackson Frank's been posting some stuff about him and, and just how he's kind of turning things around. Um, those are contributions that the Suns could have used this year. And I think Kevin Zimmerman, my 
uh, comrade at Arizona Sports has talked about this season and last season, the biggest weakness for this team just being really like that high-end athleticism and length. We saw Philly's length in the first half of that game especially really bother the Suns. And that's where you look at someone like Halliburton or, or some of those other names like Bay and Maxi and Nachua uh, where they could have gotten that. Uh, but Smith is one of those guys as, as well. Uh, that has that in his game. So it's it's difficult looking at the the, la- the landscape of those guys, and those are the names I mentioned because those guys are playing roles on a, on a team right now. I don't think I mentioned Cole Anthony either. If I if I didn't, he he's starting already for the Magic with Fultz out. So um, it, there's a very, very, very long way to go before uh, even looking at this pick and looking down on it, let alone starting to use the bust word. People using the bust word already are insane. We haven't um, even seen him. How can you call him a bust if he's never yeah, played we, basketball? We haven't even seen him. But what we do know is, is that from the, again, this is what we're talking about, 25 games into their first seasons, Brennan, um, that some of the other guys are, are in this class are looking pretty nifty so far. And they were guys that we personally thought going into the draft did look uh, pretty nifty. Sadiq Bay, Eastern Conference Player of the Week, Brennan. What a ridiculous <laughs> award. Oh my it God. Is, if you want to if you want to pivot into another news item, my it is gosh. like wanting uh to have how the MLB has every team needs to have an all-star. It's the same type of thing where it's like the they just didn't have another good East option, I suppose. Sadiq Bay is what, like the third best player on his own team, which is the worst team in the league. Like I'm not sure. I'm not sure what we're doing, but yeah. Detroit was the only Eastern Conference team to win three games last week. A couple of teams <laughs> went two and one. Right. But I guess they they went to there and then they pulled up Detroit stats and said, oh, hey, Sadiq, they had a kind of a decent week. So we'll put it like giving him that over. I think I saw Terry Rozier average like 33 a game when they went two and two. Just give it to Terry. Yeah. Two and give two it is to, fine. Just give it to Joel Embiid if you're in doubt. Give it to Giannis if you don't know what else you're supposed yeah. to be doing. Uh, it yeah, makes but, your reward award look just look ridiculous. Like shout yeah, out to Sadiq what's the Bay next guy going to well, think but. after Bay? Like the 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 award was like devalued for the for the rest of the season. Um, but yeah, Devin Booker wins Western Conference Player of the Week. We we don't really need to talk too much about that award in its specificity, but we can uh, definitely hit on Devin Booker in the stretch that he's uh, leading the Suns on. We'll do that right after this. Another quick word about Rock Auto, my favorite cheap and easy way to buy car parts. Let me walk you through what I've been dealing with lately. So all the way back before the pandemic really hit, I bought all new tires. I was going for it. Okay, my car is not perfect, but I'm going to go for it. I'm going to try to figure it out for as long as I can rather than trade it in and get something new. So a few months later, I... Take it to the dealership for something totally unrelated because there's like a callback on some of the internal electronics and whatnot. Okay, so then they print out a sheet as they always do with quotes on everything. Lights, this lights out, this uh, my um, protect like the thing that blocks out the, the shade and that has the mirror on it that drops down from the top of the driver's and passenger side. That's broken, the mirror is broken, all this stuff. Very minor, but you know, you have the dings along the way. They printed out the whole thing, you add it up, it's like over a thousand dollars. So I say, okay, we'll get the we'll get the lights because those you know don't want to get pulled over for whatever. Not a big deal. Pay for that, a few hundred bucks, totally a, a ripoff, but it is what it is, right? Sometimes you get screwed by those dealers, you have to do what you have to do. Then I get it back a couple of weeks later, the key fob not working. 
only the dealership can handle it. They don't know what's wrong. They don't even have an answer. They basically tell me to buy a new one. Of course, through them, it's tons and tons of money, just like everything else. So what it really made me realize is that the whole point of this stuff is that you're supposed to save money. But sometimes when you have to go through the dealer or you have to go through uh, these expensive storefronts and, and manufacturers and whatever, it can just be a complete pain and you start to pay more than your car's worth at a certain point. So why choose to spend 30, 50, 100% or more for the exact same part that you could buy at Rock Auto. So for example, there's everything from an engine control module, brake part to some of the stuff that I needed, like a light or a mirror or um, that part that I cannot remember the name of that flaps up and down to protect your eyes from the sun. Uh, all that stuff is on rockauto.com and easy to use, easy to navigate, catalog on their website, no membership required. So all of that is great, but the best part is you're going to get charged what the price of the product is worth, not what they're going to make the most money off of or what the market is uh, sort of telling them that they should charge you. It's going to be the same for you as it is for the pros, and it's going to be the same every single time. Go to rockauto.com right now. Check all of it out. You're going to need something for your car if you don't already. See what you see. What's there. See what you need. See what's there. I guarantee you they will have an option for you right locked on in their How Did You Hear About Us box at checkout so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, and all the car parts you will ever need. RockAuto.com. All right, back here with Kellen Olson of Arizona Sports. Just wanted to update you, Kellen, and get what kind of you think of this starting lineup because... Uh, not the Frank part, although we can go into that, but just statistically. So overall, the the starting lineup we saw at the beginning of the year is still minus 7.2 points per 100 possessions. But part of that you have is the defensive rating in front of you. I do not. OK, so it was at see. 120 before. I'm guessing it's still like in the 115, 120 range. That was a surprising okay. thing about it. It's not like they were outscoring yeah. teams by a bazillion. They were just giving up points. Yeah. And, and so. What I was going to acknowledge is that the weird part of it is the Cam plus starters lineup. This is okay. So that was on the season. This now, these numbers are just the past six games. So over the past six games, the starters with Cam in place of Frank, Cam Johnson in place of Frank, plus 55.6. Very small samples, of course. It's only six games, and one lineup will only play a handful of minutes per game. Um, with Frank in there, at that, the new starting lineup over the past six games, the all wins plus 17.3. And then still during even this six game win streak, when they've won and you wrote a, a nice recap about the impact Jay Crowder had in the Milwaukee game, he's had plenty of standout moments. Um, but that group, the original starting lineup, which is now sort of a bench unit is minus 25.1 the past six games. So Ooh. it's, it's peculiar because somehow that Frank lineup is having the impact. I guess you would hope like it's they're winning those minutes and uh, the starting lineup was such an issue at the beginning. So what do you make of the kind of revolving door between cam J and Frank and where we've settled so far right now? So to uh, step into the batter's box uh, with the same bat you had, uh, that's my metaphor attempt. I'm going to, I'm going to stick with it. Uh, Plus 23 is the leading plus minus of any team uh, of any lineup. Sorry. Over this run of nine of 10 games, they've won. That is the Kaminsky lineup. That is Paul Booker bridges, Kaminsky and Aiden plus 23, the best of any lineup, even a lineup that's played five minutes or whatever. 
It's the best. Um, the second best is uh, Crowder, Johnson, Mikel, Aiton, and Paul. So I'm guessing that group without Booker on the bench. Maybe that was the one game Booker missed, where uh, or the games Booker missed where they went nuts for a bit. Um, but but that's it, it's very interesting. Um, I. It, I guess, uh, what was your question exactly, Brendan? Like, how long should they just stick like, with it? You, I'm not... I mean, whatever you think. I'm just curious what you've made of how they've made the changes and the fact that the Kaminsky thing is working. Like, yeah, I guess. I mean, what do you think if they should stay with it? Or, well, the biggest problem with the with the with the offense and was the offense in the starting lineup. It was just a lack of cohesion, the lack of fluidity, and for whatever reason, with Frank in there, it's starting to come together a bit easier. And I think that. As long as it's working, it should stay in there. Um, I, I know our, our good friend David Nash like the, and a lot of people agree that they should kind of just pull the cord right now and just the, they got something good out of it. But I don't necessarily disagree with what Monty's doing, which is just sticking with it until it's proven ineffective. And again, he's been tinkering with it. Like Kaminsky played a lot more of the Magic game, I believe. Like I don't know if that's a real game we should even talk about. But in the Sixers game, Kaminsky only played 11 minutes. He played his he opening like shift, the, which was five Keith or six Bogans minutes. Thing, yeah. Yeah, and and that was it. So if you just want to stick with him as an opener, essentially, that's completely fine um, with me and and keeping him in there while it's working and you're not losing those minutes. Which again, Brennan, they're not plus twenty three yeah. over a hundred over seventy eight minutes. Like that's that's pretty sweet. Um, the other thing I was so going to ask you those, is why is it working better than the Baines thing did in your mind? Um, I think Kaminsky just has a little bit more of a dribble threat to him. We saw that nice move that he had on McGee, but it's just also the movement around the floor that he provides. He, it seems like he's constantly moving and the, the threat of him to both pass and dribble when he gets the ball, I think is pretty substantial. Like Baines, when he was going nuts at the beginning of the year, he was averaging like three assists a game or something. It was wild. Um, and I don't know if Frank's necessarily doing that, but of course the connection with uh, him and Mikel has been a big Part of that, and I mean, he's also hitting shots. I, I'm going to pull up the numbers right now for the season in front of me. What his three point percentage is at now? I don't know what it is over the, like the last ten games, the last five, whenever he started. But this year on the year, he's shooting 38.5 percent from three, yeah. which man, like that's that's and it was in the 40s stuff. for a while. Yeah, yeah, that's elite stuff for a guy of his size. Look up on Basketball Reference seven footers who shoot threes. And the percentages, like if you get 35 or 36 out of those guys, you're golden and he's way up there. And then in the last 10 games, he's at 45.5% from three. So until the shots like stop, uh, stop falling until that lineup starts getting outplayed, you just stick with it. And the numbers will tell them when, and that's the thing I think people have to understand about money. There's a little, like little minutia, like stuff that me, you, um, uh, Gina Mizell, Dwayne Rankin, Gerald Borgay, like all these people who are on these calls all the time will pick up. Monty references data all the time. He is going to see and his staff is going to see immediately when they start to get some fall off. And it's going to be far beyond just like seeing it happen on the floor and they're getting outscored with Frank. They'll start to see this area, that area of the game. They're really on top of that type of stuff. And and they'll they'll eject when they need to. They're, they're not going to stick with this over the course of, of the season. And I think for me, the biggest side of that was the Philly game, which was a highly competitive game where he clearly couldn't stay on the floor that long. And Monty didn't leave him on the floor that long because he's a pretty good coach. I understand he has his flaws and some yeah. people aren't that high on him, but it I, is he a top three, top five coach in the league? No, but he's he's pretty good. And, and he has his clear strengths. He has some weaknesses, but this is the type of thing that isn't going to be like, 
permanently there in a negative solely by a decision that he continues to make. I don't think that's the type of coach uh, that he is and people need to stop expecting that to happen. I agree. I'm, uh, I don't know if it's a weakness either that I'm about to say, but I think one of the things that I scratch my head at with Monty from time to time um, is, and it, it, it's the opposite of what he's doing here. And, and it's why I agree with you about the fact of keeping this while it's working. There's no reason not to, they've won six games. It, it would be a, a silly thing to say that they need to make a major change like that. But um, on the back end of this rotation, there are times, and it's been now the, the bulk of the whole time he's been here where just the, the, the general makeup of the rotation changes. I don't like, I've never, I guess, covered as closely as I cover this one, a competitive NBA team on a daily basis. Like we've seen other coaches for the Suns over the years, but you know, I wasn't covering the team when Alvin Gentry was the coach or whatever. And so maybe it's, maybe it's not, as uh, aggressive as, as I feel like it is, but I tend to think it is, which is just like, you know, the beginning of the fourth quarter is a good example. Like for a while, DeAndre Ayton was getting run there and doing a really good job. And now he's nowhere to be seen. He checks in around the six, seven, eight minute mark of the fourth quarter. And we've seen Paul sort of be the guy to start that stretch out um, with a backup big and, and some wings and some shooting. And it's been good too. Um, who is the backup like the third and fourth guard that's for two years now been a question. So I guess yeah. when you think about Frank and you think about just the rotation overall, we are sort of getting to the end of this first part of the season. Like, do you think that experimentation should continue with Frank at the four with uh, Frank just being in the rotation? Like, is there at, at a certain point yeah. you need to just say like, okay, we're not actually going to do that in the playoffs. We're not actually going to have Langston Galloway get some minutes. We're not going to have Abdel Nader in the, in the like, at, do you think maybe this is when we start to see some of that like seriousness? I, I guess that's kind yes. of a bad word. Yes. No, I, I completely understand what you're saying. And it was a really good point to bring up in terms of the dynamics of a competitive team. I think we're already seeing it. I think the Jalen Smith thing is a really good example where you're like a rebuilding team or whatever. You'll get him in there. Um, they didn't want to get him in there. Uh, and with this, I think that we will slowly start to get, see it get peeled back a bit, especially once they start losing. And I, and I say once, because like they're not going to win 34 of 36 to end the year or whatever. I'm sorry to, to be the downer here, but th there is going to be a stretch where they lose two of three, three of five, whatever that that's going to come up in the next couple of weeks uh, or a couple of months. And, and that's when, that's when it'll have to happen. I just think, Dario is even better than he was last year. So I, I think that that is the, that the Kaminsky thing to me, big picture wise, playing him at the four, you are essentially taking minutes away from Cam, Jay, Cam Johnson, uh, Jay Crowder and Dario. You are taking minutes away from those guys and you have to essentially make a call on when that's no longer okay. And once Cam Johnson and Jay Crowder start to be more consistent, I think that also has to happen because I don't want to say Frank's played better than those guys the past five games, but Frank's been pretty good. Um, and yeah, the shot making is, has been a, a problem for those two. And just in terms of consistency. Yeah. yeah and Dario and Dario has been fantastic. Um, so I, I think like that Philly, 
the way he played in Philly, like I can't remember. Obviously, there's a slim pickings the last couple of years, but man, I can't remember the last time since like we're talking Gerald Green days when like impact performance off the bench that swung a game that dramatically. The way that he defended Embiid in that game with four steals and all that kind of stuff, he was excellent. Um, so I, I think with yeah, yeah I, I think with Frank, it comes down to those minutes and when you want to start to really say, okay, we really need to get this extra six minutes for Jay. So that's when he's got to go. Uh, and that goes back to Langston, right? It's like Etwan's playing so well. It's like, sure, you could go back to that 10-man rotation and give Langston 11 minutes or whatever, but wouldn't you rather give those six minutes here and five minutes there? That's like the balance of building a rotation. And with how many guys are playing well, I, I guess it's a little bit more difficult, but there is like a – not everyone's playing at the same high level. There are different um, spectrums guys yeah. are on right now in terms of how well they're playing. And once those start to trend in the direction they should – which is Kaminsky. It, I was a I was a Kaminsky defender in the offseason saying like, look, he played terrible for like even even like the Charlotte days when I get that like he wasn't much of a player there, but he was not this bad in Charlotte. Like he was shooting the ball terribly. And Frank said leading into the season that he had some injuries that he was dealing with that weren't listed. Um, but he's not going to be this the entire season or or this for like the next couple of weeks. Even it's eventually going to go down. Teams are attacking him a lot. Uh, ben Simmons, like a, that's the Ben Simmons problem, of course, but Ben Simmons should have got on him at him every time because when he did, it was working. Um, and that's just going to be the thing. Teams are going to relentlessly attack him, especially the later we get into the season. Yeah, my thought has been, and it still is, that we probably see them go back to what the beginning of the season rotation looked like, where it's Payne, Cam, and I guess both of those guys, and, and Dario as really this the three bench players and then you'll see probably each one and that might be it really getting any sort of run. So I think we'll get back there. Um, but I agree. We ride this until, until you have to stop cause it's working and uh, it's an easy way to keep guys like Frank happy and engaged, which is always a benefit just in case you do need them later in the season, but let's take another quick break. And then I want to get into the, the Paul Booker dynamic, which I think has been, really at, at its peak and rounding into shape the past couple games. The final sponsor of today's show is BetOnline.ag. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all sports action. The NBA, college basketball, and the NHL are in full swing. Every single night has tons of games to check out to bet on, and the MLB is not too far around the corner. Spring training tickets on sale. The Valley's getting ready. Baseball is not too far around the corner. BetOnline even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV, so you have real-time updated odds and props on just about anything in the world of sports or entertainment. BetOnline has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds you need, and it's the best way to place a bet on anything. Best of all, it's free to sign up, so head to the website or use their mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus when you make your first deposit. Again, download the app or head to the website Use the promo code LOCKED ON when you make your first deposit and you will get a 50% welcome bonus. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. All right, another statistic, or it's, it, it's not anything um, advanced, but 23, 21, 13, and 9. Chris Paul's line against Denver in the game without Booker. And then 32-5-5 a couple nights later against Oklahoma City. Now, they lost both of those games, and that was, I think, the 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 nadir of Suns fan optimism. Uh, I definitely felt that, Kellen. But 
do you feel like what Chris Paul was able to do, not only in terms of scoring the ball, which, but that certainly helped getting his legs under him, but also just uh, realizing the, the sort of way he could impact this offense. It feels to me like that was the start of what we've seen from him and from this offense overall. Yeah, it was always going to come down to, for them two together, it was always going to come down to which one of them put it together first and how much that was going to help the other guy. Um, Because I think if Booker would have been the guy to get going first, it would have helped Paul get going. And it just turned out to be Paul, those Dallas games, and and then that OKC game, especially for me, I think maybe the OKC game was like the best individual performance by uh, anyone outside of, I I think I should probably include the Dallas game because didn't he score like 17 straight in the fourth or something like that was, that was insane. Um, But it just turns out that once one of these guys got going, it was going to help the other one. And I think that's, part of what happened and then i just also think that book just needed some time to get going their true shooting percentages in the last 10 games paul's at 64.2 and booker's at 62.3 booker's averaging 27 4 and 5 with only 2.6 turnovers per game so those are way down compared to the troubles he was having earlier in the year and then paul's at 20 points five rebounds seven assists 2.6 turnovers and then nearly two steals a game as well we saw those steel numbers were down for him at the start of the year, even if his defense was fantastic as usual. Um, but then now those have started to trend back up towards uh, the career numbers that he's put up in the past couple of years. So I, I, I'm not sure exactly what happened. And it was a, uh, I don't want to say frustrating, but it was, uh, it felt mundane and it felt like I was being really boring when I would go on some of the radio shows and they'd ask me like, what needs to happen here? And I would just say, it's going to just take time. Sorry, that's boring, but it's kind of what Monty has said about it too. And then when Devin was asked about it, he just said experience in time. He was just like, we just need to play together. It needs to go on a little bit longer. And then when it came together, he said the same exact thing in terms of what needed to happen. And and that's what it feels like to me. Um, I think sorta... book, getting, book getting those to, to like finish book, just getting those games off to like let the hammy get better. I think that really helped him too. And he round, I mean, he tends to take not a bit to be, I think this was a little bit of a slower start for him than normal, but this is around the time of year, a couple months into the season is when he tends to be just at, at his absolute peak. And we're seeing that right now. Um, I thought that honestly, that Chris Paul sort of, I asked him about it after the Bucks game and it was like, well, most teams only have one perimeter defender. Like that was really his his explanation, and it's like you see it, and they're not doing anything insane. You know, they're not they're not complicating things. It's not as if they're you know busting out these new sets that are allowing these guys to bloom. It really is just as simple as I think all of our optimism at the time of the trade thought it would be, which is these guys can create their own shot from thin air in just about any situation. And all that you really needed to figure out was the rhythm, the sort of timing of like the, you know, possessions that are this guy's and the possessions that are that guy's and just a couple simple things to especially have Paul set up Booker more on that direction of, of the pass. And they've done that. And so now we're just seeing it. And, and Paul's right. Like most teams don't have two elite guard defenders. It's just not common that position is too valuable most teams try to get one and so most most nights they're going to be able to have either one of them go off we've seen both of them being going off lately um it just makes you appreciate i think too how quickly rubio and and booker were able to uh 
to put it together. But what do you see as the the sort of next steps for this? Like, are there ways that these guys can get better? Do you think it's just keep keep polishing? Because um, I'm thinking, how do they, you know, what can those guys do to maybe help the Crowder Johnson group become more consistent? Because I do think that's maybe the weak link of the offense right now is just the shot making from those two guys and even Mikhail to a certain extent. You're not always sure what you're going to get. So to go back uh, to wrap up the point we were talking about in terms of book always being not always being, but like it feeling like he's a slow starter points per game by month in his career, 21 in October, 19.8 in November, 19.7 in December, January, 24.4. So around the halfway mark, he starts to get going February, 22.1. And then in March, 26.9, that 70 point game in there probably helps, but uh, obviously Tends to get going uh, pre-All-Star break, 21.6 points per game, post-All-Star break, 25.2. So he's always needed a little bit of time to get going, and we maybe should have expected it a bit more. I'm glad you brought up the Rubio part because that was so instantaneous, and I just kept I kept looking and bringing up that starting backcourt net rating where they were outscoring teams by like 7.5 points per 100 possessions for being like a below-average NBA team. And I was like, that's a really good number. That's like a top top six seed number like you that's you can't take that for granted and uh it didn't didn't take it for granted but it just took these two um a little bit more time in terms of the evolution i really liked the uh gosh what was it? it was the boston game when they started um carson edwards and i asked monty Mistake. um yeah that was not smart uh it was a, like, brad's very I brad stevens I get Brad Stevens, like what he's trying to do. Carson Edwards had a nice game. They're they're really looking for like a spark on their team. And that was and that was the effort. Um, but in the inverse, it was like we always see teams game plan for book the most, but that was like kind of the opposite. And the other guy was Kemba. It's not like the other guy was Marcus Smart yeah. or yeah, it, it was it was bad. So I asked Monty about it and was giving him credit for it. And he was like, oh no, that was all them. <laughs> those, those two just figured it out. Uh, they just made that call on their own and book was pretty much bringing the ball up every time. And I think that that's going to be the next step is when they kind of beyond taking turns, your turn, my turn is kind of like what Zach Lowe said he was seeing. And I agree in like the first couple of weeks with them, especially in crunch time, when it goes be like people can like say like, Oh, like these sets when like the three of them with Aiden are like all involved in the same motion. And then like, yeah, of course. But I think that as far as game flow, it's like um, actually like changing the flow of the game by who has the ball more because in that Boston game with book going, okay, we're playing way more 0.5. Our pace is higher that kind of thing. Right. And, and they can, and they can play these different styles and start to do it a lot more cohesively because of getting used to it. And I don't know if you noticed this, but about a month in Monty started referring to them having three types of like offenses to run basically, which was super interesting because never heard him talk about that last year. And then this year it was like, yeah, we have our auto make offense. We have our pick and roll offense, which that's the Chris Paul offense. And exactly. Then we have, yeah. <laughs> um, and then we have like our sets, like our dribble handoffs and things like that. And I'd never heard him talk about that last year. He talks about it this year. And the fact that they can start to do that, and it sounds like a negative, and it was a negative at the start of the season because that's part of what was leading them to get off to such a slow start and their pace is super low and it's still super low. Um, but man, if they can like start to like switch gears when they want to between those styles on on like a dime, that's like when you start talking about like an elite offense. Because right now they're 11th, I believe, after the slow start. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure within over the last 15 games of the season or whatever, they're more like 
in like the top eight, top six, but if they're like able to just say, okay, we're going to start that game. Like Boston book's going to run it. We're just going to pass move, pass move, and then just freeze the game on a dime and just have Chris run every pick and roll to death for five straight minutes with Deandre. Now you're talking about like a top three, top five offense, if they can do that effectively. And I think they can, I think they're that good. And that's smart about the game to see stuff like that and be able to realize when to do it. Yeah. That's a great call by you. I think you think like the, the offense and I'm not, they're not going to probably get to this level, but what I was thinking of when you were describing that dynamic is just like what Cleveland was able to do when LeBron was there between LeBron's whole thing. And we know how methodical and and precise and, and controlling he can be and it's efficient as hell. But then there was also times where it was like, yeah, Kyrie's just going to score like 20 in, in the quarter. So let's just keep feeding him the ball because that's going to work for us, you know? And then they had their shooters and they had, they had to be able to have the options like that is I think what separates you. Maybe not really in terms of like getting into the top three of the regular season standings and offense or anything. But when we do start to think about the playoffs, that'll be vital for them really quick before we get out of here would just be the bench. Uh, I, I think it was something I underrated and I think it might've been because I got too complicated with my thought process on it of who's going to fill which role thinking about, okay, well they have like 11 guys. How do you fit them all into rotation? And really it's been as simple as Monty being very adamant from the start that he was going to be even more of a mixing and matching type of, of tactician this year with the lineups. We've seen book plus bench lineups a lot lately that are really, really nice and we've seen a whole lot of that throughout the course of the season. But man, I I look at the 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 limitations of how much they've already been able to slim down the rotation in some games, like that Philly game. And they just look to me like they already have it figured out how that rotation will look in the playoffs and what purpose each guy's gonna serve. And a lot of them do have chemistry because it was it's most of the guys who were there for the bubble. I mean, campaign, Cam Johnson and Dario Sharich you know, you look at that rotation, it's, it's the bubble guys plus Crowder and Paul. Like when I look at the way that the bench is impacting the game, I think that's something that will survive this stretch and, and something that they'll continue to be able to build on. Cause those guys just came back from injury. Yeah. Can I grab the wheel and, and shift our conversation to end it sure. with something that people have been talking about the past two days? Where do you stand on? I like, of course, like anytime, like, Oh, Blake Griffin bio, Chris Paul, where do you what do you think in general in terms of looking at this team as a possible like make a trade to help win now kind of move? I can't tell if this is PTSD from the past five years, and it probably is, but I really don't want to put too many cooks in the kitchen and I don't want to rock the boat. And no, I just I was think, going the same place as you. I think I agree. And it I've kind of talked around it because I personally feel like it's just without guys who we know are available. It just gets difficult to talk about trades, but as a general principle, as I was saying about the rotation, I'm not sure what you add. I mean, I've been on the Island of definitely wanting another sort of innings eating big. Like I think those guys are just useful in the playoffs, especially in the West when you're going to have to face a, a Jokic, a Gobert and Anthony Davis. Um, but other than that, I don't think there's much I would be targeting. Everyone looks for shooting. Like that's what this roster is. So like, you don't need shooting. Um, you think you of like another... find a guy who could play defensively and shoot, but like, okay, who the hell are you? <laughs> Great. You I want the player say, everyone wants. 
hey, can you get a ball handling wing who can attack off the dribble, also shoot threes and defend? There's yeah, Jalen like Brown available? <laughs> yeah, there's like is there's he, seven, is he on the there's block? seven of those guys that exist in the entire universe and they're all yeah. getting paid hundreds of millions of dollars. Yeah. So like, that's what I think of. I'm like, all right, maybe like another dribble creator, but God, you can't get someone who can't shoot. You can't get someone who can't defend because um, that's just not worth what else you have on the roster. But you think about like, even like, things you look at for more depth options. Like remember when like the Sixers did all that weird stuff and then they had Glenn Robinson and James Ennis and all that stuff. It's like, they kind of have that kind of guy already in Abdul Nader where you just think of like, okay, an extra wing little bit like who matches athleticism and like can shoot a little bit, can do a little bit of stuff like that's him. And you think about, all right, another guard who can shoot and, and then, or if you go defense, it's like, that's Javon and Langston. Like the, the roster is already kind of there um, depending on like how they uh, choose to play between Etwan and, and Cameron Payne. I think that both of them have deserved to stay in the rotation. And I do think that it should be cool. Langston, Abdul and, and Javon who sit for now. But I mean, Etwan is another guy where even if like, he can step up again. Like it, I don't want, you don't want him to start of course, but no. the only way I would see them making a win now move is if they had an injury of some sort, that would really be the only thing for me. Cause I just don't see where else you look at this roster. I agree with you maybe big at the end, but that's what the guy you're talking about is basically why they have Damian Jones. Like, yeah, you, you just want, want a guy who that. can actually do what he, what they hoped he could do. And he just hasn't been able to maybe like a true power forward if you want to be super picky, but like that's, that's not how you built the roster already. So I, I would really be, do think yeah. that the roster is fine. And especially like you can bring up the Blake Griffin, Chris Paul thing, like connection, like all you want. He just doesn't fit with this, with the way this team's built. And it would just be a mess having another guy who needs the ball. Cause you, you're you already barely getting there. The, the reclamation story of that. It's just like, whatever Blake's going to do is going to be very, very heavily scrutinized. And it's going to be this, the media is going to want it to be this story of him getting out of Detroit and putting his career back together. Like that's a whole thing. that's a guy that has a lot of not negative baggage, but just a lot to him that you probably aren't going to want to integrate to a team that's trying to get on a roll. I would, I personally, the more that I watch campaign this year and the way that he's, gotten back in group. I think that guy, if he can stay healthy and whatever is working for him, it seems like he knows the system to a T. It seems like he figured a lot of things out just about the the pace that he can kind of play at and everything while he was overseas and in the G League. But that guy yeah, how many how many they, teams could use it like him and three other guys the Suns have on their bench. You know what I mean? Yeah. I was gonna say like we talk about Monty Morris, Tyus Jones, some of these like elite backup point guards. Like I don't feel like when Cam is playing at at his peak, I really don't feel like he's that far off. Like that guy is one of the better point guard defenders that I've watched closely in a long time. Like I think he's defending better this year than Ricky did last year. I mean, he's playing in a smaller role and he's not as big. He's not the same exact type of player, but man, I don't I don't think you would want to replace him either. So yeah, I'm I think I think we're on the same page. Like, I don't really know if anything makes sense. And when you have a top 10 offense and defense, it's like, what are you, what are you, yeah, Mind, what are you looking for? Mindset, man. He's always been a, a good pass first kind of guy. Like some of those Bulls games you would watch back, it was like, man, like he's still like creating stuff with the passing. It's really cool. But when he said like, yeah, I'm just going to be a defense guy now. It's like, yeah, okay. You're like yeah. your mindset with that athleticism and speed. 
and just like the know-how to be defending enough because he's been in the league now for four to five years. Like, yeah, he can just, when guys make that shift mentally, he's like, I'm going to be known for defense and passing and, and attacking the basket. It's like, that's what he's doing. And he's doing it um, super well. Speaking of that on the other end, like I would have to pull up a list, but Dario's got to be one of the 10 best backup bigs in the league too. Like they, they're. If he hadn't had all those missed games. I really do think he would be like, he would be like the nerds favorite for 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 six man. Like he he's never going to yeah. win it. You're never going to see a four or five combo big man win it in 2021. But he he's been playing out of his mind. Yeah, I think. I mean, I I think I agree, and I've seen the same the same sort of conversation. I think the national media, for whatever reason, when they when they look at a team for the first time, their initial instinct is, what are we what are we going to trade to make this thing better? Um, and that's fun, obviously, but I don't think in this case that there's that there's much of a need at all. You are perfectly, you do not need to win a title with Chris Paul. It's okay. Like it's, it's perfectly fine to win a playoff series or two with him for his two years here and look if he resigns or if he leaves after a year or whatever the case may be. It's like just getting established in the playoffs for these younger guys. Book will be ready to do it in two years on it. Like without Chris Paul, like and he might be ready now, even honestly um, look like it in the bubble at least. So you don't, you do not need to swing for the fences right now and like trade Cam Johnson a first round pick to try no, and make no, a run no, at the. No. You know what you should do, Brendan? Not make a run at the Lakers. Don't do that. That's not no. going to work out well. Yeah, unless I'm you're st- uh, unless you're getting an Anthony Davis of your own, it's it's probably not going to. And gonna you're go still well. probably losing because that team is horrifying. I was looking up those clutch numbers. Uh, plus 29 and 19 clutch minutes in their last five games. The Suns are number one is the Lakers because they just sit there going 25 miles an hour on the freeway until the last two minutes and then just turn it on for the last 5% of the game and obliterate teams. That's the terrifying level that team, when a team is like actively screwing around and then can just turn (laughs) into the death star for like a minute and a half and then win a game. It's, uh, I hate it's, to, it's terrifying. I, I hate to bring this to the audience we have listening, but I actually saw a endearing and funny Lakers fan kind of thread tweet where it was someone just tweeting like, man, we shouldn't even watch the first half of these games anymore. And then everyone in the replies was <laughs> just God. doing crying emojis and being like, yep, I turn it on the mid third quarter now. <laughs> like, it's oh just my like, God. No, there's that's... just no point in even watching anymore because if like, they're going to play like that and you know, what's going to happen, you might as well just stick around or, or Lakers stay there. Fans are official. I think Lakers fans, I know it's jokes, but it's also, they're insufferable. The, they did it the, to the whole, Nuggets, every man. star is going to be on our team bit as well. It's just like everyone Dude, they, that they play. Oh yeah. He'll look good. And he'll look good in gold. Wasn't it the Nuggets like a week and a half ago where the Nuggets were up 17 and a half or whatever. And then all of a sudden the Lakers are up 25. Yeah, just, they just oh. yeah they they just did it yeah they just did it to him this week yeah it was, this is a great way to end the podcast and just like <laughs> salivating over how amazing the Los Angeles Lakers are hey, well I don't that. think this I'm sorry everyone the point them. is do not make a run at a title this year or next year because that team is waiting there and do not do that it's okay if the Suns play them in the playoffs it'll be in the Western Conference Finals and I think everybody will be glad to have uh, gone through that so. Uh, They'll that, have a shot in any totally series with fine. those two guys, man, too. That's the thing. Like, I'll sit here and say, like, they have no shot to beat the Lakers, but, hey, like, just like they do with, like, LeBron and AD, it's, it's a lesser version, of course, and probably two steps down with those two guys as a compliment to LeBron and AD. But when you have two dynamic ball handlers like that and shooting around it, you're a tough out for anyone. 
And that's what we've seen. I mean, that's what we've seen the past few games is that they, they're never really, they, they've just, they, they're able to take control of games in a way that, that they weren't able to last year because of that. We talked about a lot of the, the rhythm reasons why of just the, the versatility and everything that they provide. But, um, Kellen, I feel like every time I bring you on, we could do four of these. Um, but I will, I will leave you there. Um, we're all looking forward to this Nets game tomorrow night, but uh, if you have anything to plug or anything you want to shout out to the folks, go ahead. Uh, ArizonaSports.com. I have a little piece up right now talking about how the Suns are relevant again, and they play the Nets tomorrow, which should be super exciting. I looked at a couple of numbers. That's a foreign concept brennan i remember last year before things went south when they started five and two i was like "Ooh, previewing games this is this is fun people care about the game coming up like it was just speaking of covering a team that's actually good um covered the uh so like looking for key little things just to kind of tease it um the nets have a terrible defense they give up a ton of shots in the mid-range that a ton of people make so get ready tomorrow to see deandre jordan in drop coverage and chris paul hitting a 14 footer it's going to happen like a handful of times and it's going to be a super fun game. I can't going to be very high scoring. Yeah. And uh, more fans in the building. So I guess it'll be a little bit of an atmosphere for that reason as well. TNT, the whole nine. So I'm sure all of you are looking forward to it. I'll be here right with you. The moment I get home, I always say after the buzzer and then it's not because the arena uh, is far away, but check those feeds Tuesday night and uh, we'll be there. Rain or shine.